It's the last lesson on the series of the church, and we're going to talk about church membership. I wanted to begin by telling a story, true story. Might get corrected a little by someone in the room, but nonetheless, true story. Uh, I was in college, and Sarah and I had gone on a few dates, and we were at a favorite restaurant in College Station with friends called Free Birds or Sub Burritos. Kind of like Chipotle, but more independent. And someone looked at us and said, hey, so are y'all dating? And to my embarrassment, shame, I looked at Sarah and I go, are we? <laughs> it wasn't my most manly taking the bull by the horns, leading the relationship moment of my life. Um, <laughs> yes, there's a lot of money involved. Uh, now, so I don't know what people call it today because I'm not super hip and cool. I don't know what newfangled terms are. But back then, we called it a DTR, defining the relationship. Have we defined what this relationship is? Because, you know, you might go on a date with someone once or twice, but that doesn't mean you're dating. Or you might see them somewhere, or you might be friends with lots of people. What is our relationship? And there, especially once you start dating someone, what are we friends? Are we dating? Are we serious? Or are we just casually dating? And I think that can be an apt metaphor. Many people have used this. This is not just me. For how we relate to the local church, or at least the way many people relate to the local church. They go to church, they're there, but they're not very committed, and they haven't really defined their relationship, so to speak. However, I'm going to argue this morning that our relationship to the church, to a local church, should be one more of marriage than dating. As with marriage, there are times, the Bible tells us, where we can get out. There are so problems that are so strong that the only thing you should do is divorce. However, those are rare, and in most cases... We should not view our relationship with the church as dating, but as marriage. Now, how do people view it as dating? Well, this church is having a great conference, so they go over here. But then they hear this pastor is having a good series, so they go to that church. And then they go to another church for a Bible study on Tuesday night. And then they have another set of friends for accountability. And then they have another group of friends that they talk to life about. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying you can't go to Bible studies at other churches. I'm not saying if there's a great conference down the street or across town, you can't go to those. But... Rather than people pouring most of their spiritual energy into one body of believers in the United States, it's more consumer, more of a dating mentality. I'm going to go to whatever is the latest and greatest, and I'm not really going to send my roots down with one. And again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you can't do some of those other things, but where are you committed? Now, as we get into this, I know someone's going to quickly say, because I've had people even in this church say, but... The Bible never mentions membership. That's an addition to the Word of God. Why are we talking about this if it's not in the Bible? Because, let's be honest, you can read the whole New Testament. It never mentions church membership. And so I want to be clear from the beginning, one, that's true. You can read from Genesis to Revelation and you'll never find the word church membership. But two, that statement is not necessarily what I'm talking about. What the New Testament does clearly teach, and I'll probably say this ad nauseum this morning, is that when we're saved, we're not just saved to be individual Christians, to have our own personal walk with Christ. We're also saved to be part of a committed, intentional, engaged group of people, group of believers. And many Christians, myself included, have thought the best way to characterize that and make that clear is the term church membership. To say, look, I'm purposely saying I'm going to unite with these other believers and we're going to be committed to one another. 
We're going to be intentional with you know purposes. We talked about all these things, and we're going to be engaged in each other's lives. And what I think has happened is, as Christians started reading the Bible and going, hmm, what the Roman Catholic Church teaches on some things is wrong, and they base it on tradition. We should only read God's word. And I think they maybe have overreacted and said that everything we do needs to be have explicit mention in the Bible. Now, you might think, well, it should. What I mean by that is, well, we should derive everything from the Bible. That doesn't necessarily mean we need a chapter and verse for every single action that we do. So, for example, before this series, we talked about how we should love God with our technology. How many verses talk about technology? Well, zero. But yeah, we also said everything does. And so we don't need to say, well, Matthew 7.10 says only use your cell phone in this way. You know, so we don't need necessarily a chapter and verse on everything. Rather, we need to look at what does all Scripture say and apply it and make applications from it. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which also is in the Bible, says this. It says, the whole counsel of God, so all of God's thoughts, concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life is, and they're going to tell us how we know this, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequences deduced from Scripture. That little part is on your page. Under which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word of God, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the Word which are always to be observed. All right, that was a long quote, but what was that generally saying if you understood or that was too confusing. Who knows what I just said. Okay, just to praise God. So it's basically saying this. Everything we do should come from Scripture, if you look at your page, either expressly set down or by good and necessary consequences deduced. What in the world might that mean? Good and necessary consequences deduced. You ever heard the word deduction? Yeah. So they're saying everything is coming from God's word, but there doesn't necessarily have to be an explicit chapter and verse. So here for membership, um, yeah, it doesn't explicitly say you should join a local church. But as we look at what the New Testament says, which we're going to do, could that be lived out by the idea of membership? Now, here's some things that... The New Testament doesn't tell us, but we can deduce from it. All right, communion. Should we have one loaf? This was my body broken for you. Or should we have it already broken up? Well, some Christians have split churches. I'm not kidding here. Because Jesus says this is my body and to have multiple pieces is denying that he has one body. Nowhere in Scripture are you told to have more than one loaf. I think most Christians go, that's really ridiculous. <laughs> like, no one in Yeah, so you shouldn't. You should only have one loaf, would be the argument. <laughs> well, exactly. So nowhere does it say not to have church membership. 
Uh, but the point is, you know, I could go on and on. You know, should we have one cup? Jesus passed the cup. Or should we have multiple individual little plastic cups like Jesus did? Um, I completely agree with you, Arnold. I'm just saying, some people take, you have to find everything, literally, you have to be able to find a verse or you can't do it. <laughs> then you're agreeing with me. I'm saying that you can make good deductions. God has given us wisdom to go, are we really denying what communion is saying if we have it already broken up? No, not at all. Um, all this to say, long way to get to our lesson, is my main emphasis this morning is not so much membership, but what I believe membership best helps us do. And again, that's to live committed, intentional, and engaged lives with other believers. One man, David Mathis, says, but whether you call it membership, partnership, or something else, the New Testament assumes some form of committed, accountable belonging as a reality for every true believer, follower of Jesus. So, you know, what I'm going to try and argue this morning is what we're saying, and take out the word membership for a little bit, what we're saying is not just a preference. Like, you know, I feel like it would be helpful for me to join a church or be part of a church. I'm saying this is an obedience issue that every believer should be doing this. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, obviously, there are providential reasons. Maybe your health never allows you to get out of the home. Or maybe you have an assignment in a country where there's no other believers. Of course, there are times when you can't gather with other believers. But normally, the way we follow Christ is by doing this with other believers. And again, whether that's term membership or some other steps is not so much the issue I'm going to focus on. Uh, now, you all may be there's a very big church in here, one a lot of people go to, that explicitly doesn't have membership. Does anyone know what church that is? Grace. 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 I don't know. Colonial doesn't. So Grace, this is what they say on their website about church membership. They say, the universal church consists of all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. No local church can confer or withdraw this membership. So they're saying if you're saved, you're part of the universal church. Whether you're part of a local church doesn't matter. Then they say, we believe, however, that regular participation in the local life of a local church is vitally important for every believer. And we encourage you to make this type of commitment. That's what I'm talking about right there. So we agree with grace, even though they don't have membership. Then they say, although there is nothing biblically wrong with formal church membership, For several reasons, we have adopted the policy of having no formal Grace Church membership role. And so we're basically agreeing with them that, look, every Christian, it's part of their Christian life to be involved in a local church. They think it's best for various reasons not to call it membership. I'll lay out now why, for various reasons, we think it is helpful. But this isn't a, the issue that I want to make clear is not what you call it. That's just a title. Yeah, yeah partnership, whatever. We could get rid of it. I don't really care as long as we're being faithful to what this says. So what is, well, let me just pause and ask some questions and then we'll look at what it says. Do you agree that many Christians have a maybe date the church mentality and what does that look like? When I think of when you say date the church, I think you just, you show up on Sunday mornings and maybe nobody even really knows who you are except, you know, the people that you sit around and then you leave and you go about your life and show back up on the next Sunday and, you know, you get out the door as fast as you can. And that, to me, is dating the church. Okay. Is that common? I think our 
bandwagon fans. You know, when sports teams do really good, you get all these people that are not normally fans, but they're cheering for them because they're really good. So when people go to the one church because they're doing really good, the pastor's there and like, yes, love the sermon. And then the pastor leaves, guess what? They're out the door. Yeah. And so there could be lots of reasons. They're dating, personality, or whatever. Are we on dangerous ground if we say there are things that Christians should do that it can only be deduced from Scripture and there's not an actual explicit verse for it? Are we on dangerous ground to say you should do this, but we can't actually point to a verse? Well, there's principles in the Bible that, I mean, you know, it might not say exactly, but the overarching principle is that this is what you would you know, Yeah, I would say we are on dangerous ground, but it's ground we have to walk on. Because Scripture doesn't lay out explicitly how you do lots of things in your life. It gives us principles so that we then have to apply those. So we have to be cautious, but we do have to walk down this road. All right, so why are we saying this? And even why is grace saying? Because some people wouldn't even agree with this statement that regular participation is vitally important. So why are we saying that? Well, let's look at... Two major areas. First, the relationship between a Christian and church leaders. Uh, we're going to pass out some verses. Corbin, can you turn to First Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13? And actually, the rest are going to be in Hebrews 13, so everyone else can just turn there. Various parts of Hebrews 13. So First Thessalonians 5 will be the first one, and then we'll be in Hebrews 13 after that. Corbin, when you get there, would you read that for us? First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. First Thessalonians 5, 12. Mm-hmm. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. All right, so here there's some commands about how a believer should relate to their leaders. What are some things that says... Okay. Esteem them. All right, so you know, the, a lot of these are going to be questions back. How can you live this out if you're not part of a local church? You know, you're, you're supposed to respect and esteem some leaders, but if you don't have any spiritual leader, then you can't do that. Or turn over to Hebrews 13, and Arnold, could you read verse 7 for us? Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Yeah. So here, very similar thing. 
it says they have leaders who teach them the word of God. Now, this is implying a couple things. Um, because in it, it says to imitate their faith. First, we're to be taught. You know, I've interacted with people who think all I need is me, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. I don't need to be taught by anyone. Well, here the Holy Spirit is teaching in the Bible that you should have people teaching you. And not just teaching you, but that you can imitate their life. And so, you know, this is implying a second thing, and that this should be a local pastor. Because you can't imitate that person on the podcast, or you can't imitate that person who you're watching online. You know, there's been a growth in the last few years of virtual churches where you can't imitate their life. You don't see their life. You may hear great sermons, but you can't imitate them. And so to obey these commands, I mean, these are commands, these aren't suggestions. You've got to be part of some local church where you can be taught and imitate and have relationships. You know, you can't imitate if you're not with them. So you've got to be intentional, engaged. Along with this, verse 17 of chapter 13. Could you read that, Sarah? Okay, so similar idea. Often, this is a verse I turn to with people who will say, nothing in the New Testament says I need to be part of a local church. Okay, okay. so here it tells you to obey your leaders. And it's not talking about government leaders. It's very clear. It's spiritual leaders. Who are your spiritual leaders? You know, in this city, I don't know, there's probably over 100 churches. Is every single pastor here your spiritual leader? Or do you have a spiritual leader that you are putting yourself under? Um, Not just, I come to a Bible study here and there, but I'm under their leadership. Now, of course, this is, you know, we don't have to nuance this every time, but of course, if the spiritual leader is telling you to do something opposed to God's word, then like other places of Scripture say, you have to say, I'm going to obey God rather than men. And this is not that spiritual leaders who get authoritarian and start commanding things outside of God's word, but there should be some leader that you're under. Now, notice on the flip side, they will give an account for you. We like to say, I don't need anyone's help. Leave me alone. I can get along by myself. Except here it's saying, no, there's people who are also going to give an account. You know, it's our pride that makes us think we don't need others in our life, that we don't need authorities. And so basically, these first two, you really, I mean, I don't see how you can faithfully obey what Christ is commanding you to do if you're only a member of the universal church. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm part of the church, the universal church. Well, you are, but. <laughs> yes, but well, what leaders, who are you respecting, who are you esteeming? The flip side of that is kind of more from church leaders. Who are Keith and I giving an account for? Only God knows how many believers there genuinely are in Wichita Falls, but there's a lot in the tens of thousands. Are we accountable for every believer in this city? Well, I don't think so. Well, how do we know which ones we're going to give an account for? Well, we would say those who have committed, engaged. How do we know they've committed and then they're engaged? Well, they say we want to become a member. Again, can you formalize that another way? Sure. There's other ways you can do it. But for us, that's been helpful to go, okay, 
we now know that you're coming under our authority and we know that we need to look out for you in a different way than we do our friend who's a Christian and coworker. We're going to care for them, but we have a different level of relationship that we have set up. Um, so based on these verses, this, how would you explain or do you agree that it's impossible to be faithful to Christ while not being part of a local church? be there physically to teach you in person, but otherwise, yes, because you have, you're not being obedient if you're not plugged in. Yeah, okay. If someone wants to be devil's advocate, or if you completely disagree, I'm fine for you to jump in. I know there's Christians who don't agree with this. I I mean, I used to be think that too, but I was also a brand new Christian. Yeah, never been discipled or anything, so what did I really know other than my salvation? Okay. What was your question again? Do you agree that it's impossible to be faithful to Christ while not being part of a local church? Assuming taking out the providential issues of health and, you know, assuming you have normal health, you live in a town that has faithful churches, all those things. Can I, can I backtrack that yeah. and say that I think that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not faithful to Rights, but you're not being faithful to this aspect of it, which would cause you to falter in your walk with him. Yeah, I'm not saying you're not a believer. Right, okay. I'm just saying it's not – I think a lot of people want to say, well, okay, it's a preference. You find it helpful to go to a church. I don't. What's the big deal? And I'm saying, well, no, these are commands. You know, it's not like you can just go, well, this is optional whether I'm going to do this. Well, another question – Slightly related to this. What can be the benefit or danger if you're getting most of your spiritual nourishment from podcasts, online sermons, things like that? There's going to be benefits to that and dangers to that. Well, the benefit is you keep feeding yourself the word every day. Um, of course, the real danger is, is when they're liking something that uh, well and they start saying, you know, uh, uh, and then they start comparing to their pastor. Let's take John Piper for example. If I start listening to Piper more, it's like, yeah, and then you said something, he said something. Now, I think Piper would say this, and it's like, wait, hold on a second. That's, that's not right. I mean, Piper, you know, there's a lot of stuff I agree with Piper, but at the same time, local pastor, you know, the pastor that I have submitted myself to and the word of God trumps Piper. Okay. Yeah, so we can become, as Warren's 1 Corinthians 1, followers of, I'm of Piper, I'm of whoever. People. I think that you also, just because of technology today, you have so many, there's so many people. I could listen to a lot of great preachers online, and I could listen to not a lot of inaccurate, not great preachers online. And if you are plugged into those things and, and not part of a local church, like someone that you trust and know to teach you the word accurately, then how do you know that you're getting fed the right things? Yeah. As, as, oh, sorry, go ahead. shut in on Sundays because I, I can watch a sermon on TV. There's no one to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. See me faltering or wavering. So basically calling out and say, hey, there's 
you serve if you're not part of a church? Yeah. Well, we're, it's just it. Your Christian walk goes beyond teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's look at the next aspect, the relationship between Christian and other Christians. So along with church leaders and there needing to be this dynamic there, the New Testament commands and gives instructions for how we relate to other believers. And, you know, basically we're applying truths we've learned throughout. We're not going to read all these verses because we've looked at them some in depth. But this was just mentioned. First Corinthians 12 it's talking about the gifts we have in the body and that everyone is important. Well, how can you serve the body? And clearly, in, I think, 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about the local body in Corinth. How can you serve a local body if you're not part of one? You know, God's given you a gift. How are you going to use that for the benefit of others in a local church? Um, you know, beyond that, we need other Christians. I do want to look up, not all these verses, but we will look up some of them. Uh, let's see, Shauna, will you read Hebrews 3, 12 through 14? We'll kind of shrink that down. Ty, would you turn to Proverbs 12, 1 and 15? Tracy, could you turn to Hebrews 10, 23 through 25? Let's see, Amy, could you turn to 1 Timothy 5, 8? And Chris, Galatians 6.10. We'll just leave the others there. So Proverbs what? 12, 1 and 15. Yeah. All right, Shauna, would you read for us Hebrews 3, 12 through 14? See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the word of God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end of the confidence we had at first. So here, what is it encouraging us to do with other believers? Yeah, encourage them. Yeah. And as we show up here Sunday morning, no one comes in, hey, let me tell you all the ways I acted this week. I mean, some of us are better at being forthright than others. But, you know, we got to see each other in each other's lives, to be committed and engaged to know, oh, they need encouragement. Yeah, they come smiling here, but then as soon as they leave, they're downcast the rest of the week. They're discouraged. There's something going on in their life, and we want to help. And here, specifically for exhortation, because you know, it's not just we get saved and boom, okay, well, basically we just live a static relationship with Christ. You know, We're growing in belief and unbelief, and I don't mean saved and unsaved. That's not my point, but in our maturity, and we need others to encourage us on. Uh, along with that, we need people to correct us at times. Proverbs 12, 1, and then 12, 15. 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Pretty strong words. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I've literally said both of those verses, read both of those verses to two of my students. Yeah, I have a friend who told me once, I can be stubborn as a mule. You have to correct me. You really got to let me know when I'm going astray. Sometimes you just have to whack me with a two-by-four. Um, and then an issue arose in his life, and he wouldn't listen to the two-by-four. <laughs> I tried to be as politely firm as I could be. You know, we could say, oh, yeah, we need this. And then someone goes, hey, I don't know that you handled that right with your kids. And ah, how could they say that? 
Well, that actually has to apply sometime in our life where they correct us. Where they go, hey, we think you're not doing that the best. And I'm not saying you have to agree with them. But the... the We, I, need correction. I do stupid things. You don't have to ask for evidence from Sarah. It's true. Uh, you know, we do things where people need to go, hey, that wasn't right. Or you need to think differently. Or you need to act differently. And that's not just in theory world here. It's like, okay, so someone's going to say something. I'm probably going to get offended, but then I need to go, no, this is good. If they did this in a loving way because they want to help me, that's great. Not, I'm going on another church. How How could they have talked to us about that? Well, of course it could be manipulative and wrong, but it could be because they... Love and care for you. Again, we need other Christians. We're blind. Uh, Hebrews 10, Right, now, often what gets quoted from this verse is, so don't forsake the assembling together. And it's true, it's in there. But, what's the purpose? I think it's often not noticed. Why should we not forsake the assembling? What does it say before that? Yeah. You know, a lot of people think it's like, let me use an analogy. They haven't been showing up for their team's baseball games. And so the coach calling them, show up, show up, show up. We need you to get there. And so they show up, they put the uniform on, and then they go stand in the field. And then the ball gets hit to them, and they just kind of watch it. Well, the point's not actually just to show up to the baseball field. It's to play the game, <laughs> to hit, to get the ball gets hit to you, catch it, throw it, all that stuff. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 is not just go to church. That's how it often gets applied. The purpose is go to the assembly so that can encourage others so you can consider oh i know what's been going on in their life and i want to help them how can i stir them up how can i stir the pot we're going to stir in the pot in other ways how can we stir the pot for good oh that person's always encouraging me you know that's why we don't forsake and this is the exact opposite of the way we've said most people relate to church most people come as consumers now what's a consumer and generally, not just with church. What's, somewhat, what's it mean to consume? Yeah, they, they take. So how, do people, how are people's consumers at the church? Okay. Yeah, it's not that there's no aspect of consuming, but it should be a give and take. I'm coming to get and to give. And most Christians, you know, sadly in the U.S., most Christians, their first look is not, is this teaching the truth? It's, did we like the atmosphere? Did they have good programs for the kids? Do they have good activities? And all those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if that's why we're coming is all the stuff we get to do, well, or also, what about what you can give? You know, it's not just, how. what can I come? Oh, I didn't get anything this morning. Well, maybe you should come to give 
in the morning. And again, this has been something pushed throughout. And we're seeing that what the New Testament commands us to live like is much different than maybe our, even our experience, even our adult life of what church is like. I'm not saying here, but maybe even in other churches. That being a Christian is not just showing up on Sunday, agreeing with the right facts, and then going and living your life. There should be in this involvement with other believers. Uh, is Wednesday night the pinnacle of Christian living? No. But it's another opportunity already set in the calendar. Hey, I want to know what's going on in their life. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for this church. I want to come. Again, not to just check the box. I gathered with the people. church did it. But there's a goal. Stirring people up. Loving one another. Being committed, engaged, intentional. Uh... You know, in this, it's helpful to realize that there's, we saw before, one another commands. We saw this on technology. Here's some things, I'm not giving all of them, but here's a simpling of some of the one another commands in the New Testament. We're to serve one another, love one another, live at, these are, I have verses, but I'm just not going to quote them. Live at peace with one another, speak the truth to one another, forgive each other, submit to one another, encourage one another, confess our sins to one another, and show hospitality to one another. And again, God's design, following Christ, being a believer, however you want to say that, is more than just I trust Christ and then I lead a moral life. Okay, I'm good. That's the way a lot of Christians think. Okay, you trust Him and then you just kind of leave a moral life, maybe go to church. That's part of it. But there's this relational side that in the U.S. we've severely diminished. And I'm saying that's being committed, intentional, engaged in relationships with other believers. And while you could and should do many of those one another's with other people, there's no doubt. I think that specifically should be happening within a local congregation. You know, in the New Testament, God's given us specific commands and then general commands. Like, uh, I think someone at 1 Timothy 5 8. All right, so we're called to provide for those in need. But notice the only time the New Testament says we've denied the faith is if we don't provide for our family. There's kind of a specific and general application. You haven't denied the faith if your neighbor next to you, you've helped them, but at some point you have to go, i got to stop. You know, but your own family, there's a specific application. I think we have a general call to love and serve Christians in our community, but we have a specific call for those within our own fellowship and let me just say two clear ways the first is love you're probably familiar with the story of the good samaritan you know we're called to render aid but it's interesting that in each one of the main passages i have them on your notes there galatians 6 10 james 2 15 first john 3 16 to 18 talks about loving the brothers or the household of faith primarily could you read galatians 6 10 for us chris so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Yeah, so, yes, we are to have a general love for everyone in the city, those who come across. If we know they need a meal, know they need help, we should help them. But, at the same time, we should have a more specific burden, more specific weight to caring for those who have said, we're going to commit to live to serve Christ here at Wichita Fowles Baptist Church. You know, that we have more of a burden 
for them than someone else. Just like if you're at a park and two kids run into each other and one's your kid and the other's obviously someone else's kid, you should care for both, but primarily their parents should care for them and you should care for your child because they're yours. Two Christians are in need. One's part of your church, one's not. Assuming all things are equal, you should have a greater burden for the person who's part of your local church. Because I, you, we, however you want to say that, have committed to one another there. I'm going to It's the last lesson on the series of the church. And we're going to talk about church membership. I wanted to begin by telling a story, true story. Might get corrected a little by someone in the room. But nonetheless, true story. Uh, I was in college. And Sarah and I had gone on a few dates, and we were at a favorite restaurant in College Station with friends called Freebirds or Subburritos. Kind of like Chipotle, but more independent. And someone looked at us and said, hey, so are y'all dating? And to my embarrassment, shame, I looked at Sarah and I go, are we? (laughs) It wasn't my most manly taking the bull by the horns, leading the relationship moment of my life. Um, <laughs> yes, there's a lot of money involved. Uh, now, so I don't know what people call it today because I'm not super hip and cool. I don't know what newfangled terms are. But back then, we called it a DTR, defining the relationship. Have we defined what this relationship is? Because, you know, you might go on a date with someone once or twice, but that doesn't mean you're dating. Or you might see them somewhere, or you might be friends with lots of people. What is our relationship? And there, especially once you start dating someone, what? Are we friends? Are we dating? Are we serious? Are we just casually dating? And I think that can be an apt metaphor. Many people have used this. This is not just me. For how we relate to the local church, or at least the way many people relate to the local church. They go to church. They're there, but they're not very committed, and they haven't really defined their relationship, so to speak. However, I'm going to argue this morning that our relationship to the church, to a local church, should be one more of marriage than dating. As with marriage, there are times, the Bible tells us, where we can get out. There are so problems that are so strong that the only thing you should do is divorce. However, those are rare, and in most cases, we should not view our relationship with the church as dating, but as marriage. Now, how do people view it as dating? Well, this church is having a great conference, so they go over here, but then... They hear this pastor is having a good series. So they go to that church and then they go to another church for a Bible study on Tuesday night. And then they have another set of friends for accountability. And then they have another group of friends that they talk to life about. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying you can't go to Bible studies at other churches. I'm not saying if there's a great conference down the street or across town, you can't go to those. But rather than people pouring most of their spiritual energy into one body of believers... In the United States, it's more consumer, more of a dating mentality. I'm going to go to whatever is the latest and greatest, and I'm not really going to send my roots down with one. And again, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you can't do some of those other things, but where are you committed? Now, as we get into this, I know someone's going to quickly say, because I've had people even in this church say, but the Bible never mentions membership. That's an addition to the Word of God. Why are we talking about this if it's not in the Bible? Because, let's be honest, you can read the whole New Testament. never mentions church membership. And so I want to be clear from the beginning, one, that's true. You can read from Genesis to Revelation and you'll never find the word church membership. But two, that statement is not necessarily what I'm talking about. 
What the New Testament does clearly teach, and I'll probably say this ad nauseum this morning, is that when we're saved, we're not just saved to be individual Christians, to have our own personal walk with Christ. We're also saved to be part of a committed, intentional, engaged group of people, group of believers. And many Christians, myself included, have thought the best way to characterize that and make that clear is the term church membership. To say, look, I'm purposely saying I'm going to unite with these other believers and we're going to be committed to one another. We're going to be intentional with you know purposes. We've talked about all these things. And we're going to be engaged in each other's lives. And what I think has happened is as Christians started reading the Bible and going, hmm, what the Roman Catholic Church teaches on some things is wrong and they base it on tradition, we should only read God's Word. And I think they maybe have overreacted and said that everything we do needs to be have explicit mention in the Bible. Now, you might think, well, it should. What I mean by that is, well, we should derive everything from the Bible. That doesn't necessarily mean we need a chapter and verse for every single action that we do. So, for example, before this series, we talked about how we should love God with our technology. How many verses talk about technology? Well, zero. But yeah, we also said everything does. And so we don't need to say, well... Matthew 7:10 says only use your cell phone in this way. You know, so we don't need necessarily a chapter and verse on everything. Rather, we need to look at what does all scripture say and apply it and make applications from it. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which also is in the Bible, says this. It says the whole counsel of God, so all of God's thoughts concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith in life is, and they're going to tell us how we know this, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequences deduced from Scripture. That little part is on your page. Under which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word of God, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the Word which are always to be observed. Right, that was a long quote, but what was that generally saying if you understood or that was too confusing. Who knows what? I just don't. Okay, it's to praise God. So it's basically saying this. Everything we do should come from Scripture, if you look at your page, either expressly set down or by good and necessary consequences deduced. What in the world might that mean? Good and necessary consequences deduced. You ever heard the word deduction? Yeah. So they're saying everything is coming from God's word, but there doesn't necessarily have to be an explicit chapter and verse. So here for membership, um, yeah, it doesn't explicitly say you should join a local church. But as we look at what the New Testament says, which we're going to do, could that be lived out by the idea of membership? Now, here's some things that... The New Testament doesn't tell us, but we can deduce from it. All right, communion. Should we have one loaf? This was my body broken for you. Or should we have it already broken up? 
And some Christians have split churches, not kidding here, because Jesus says this is my body and to have multiple pieces is denying that he has one body. Nowhere in scripture are you told to have more than one loaf. I think most Christians go, that's really ridiculous. <laughs> like, no one is Yeah, so you shouldn't. You should only have one loaf would be the argument. <laughs> well, exactly. So nowhere does it say not to have church membership. <laughs> uh, but the point is, you know, I could go on and on. You know, should we have one cup? Jesus passed the cup. Or should we have multiple individual little plastic cups like Jesus did? Um, I completely agree with you, Arnold. I'm just saying, some people take, you have to find everything, literally, you have to be able to find a verse or you can't do it. (laughs) Then you're agreeing with me. I'm saying that you can make good deductions. God has given us wisdom to go, are we really denying what communion is saying if we have it already broken up? No, not at all. Um, all this to say, long way to get to our lesson, is my main emphasis this morning is not so much membership, but what I believe membership best helps us do. And again, that's to live committed, intentional, and engaged lives with other believers. One man, David Mathis, says, but whether you call it membership, partnership, or something else, the New Testament assumes some form of committed, accountable belonging as a reality for every true believer, follower of Jesus. So, and what I'm going to try and argue this morning is what we're saying, and take out the word membership for a little bit, what we're saying is not just a preference. Like, you know, I feel like it would be helpful for me to join a church or be part of a church. I'm saying this is an obedience issue that every believer should be doing this. This is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, obviously, there are providential reasons. Maybe your health never allows you to get out of the home. Or maybe you have an assignment in a country where there's no other believers. Of course, there are times when you can't gather with other believers. But normally, the way we follow Christ is by doing this with other believers. And again, whether that's term membership or some other steps is not so much the issue I'm going to focus on. Uh, now, y'all maybe there's a very big church in here, one a lot of people go to that explicitly doesn't have membership. Does anyone know what church that is? Grace. Grace. I don't. Oh, Colonial doesn't. So, Grace, this is what they say on their website about church membership. They say, The universal church consists of all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior. No local church can confer or withdraw this membership. So, they're saying, if you're saved, you're part of the universal church. Whether you're part of a local church doesn't matter. Then they say, We believe, however, that regular participation in the local life of a local church is vitally important for every believer, and we encourage you to make this type of commitment. All right, that's what I'm talking about right there. So we agree with grace, even though they don't have membership. Then they say, although there is nothing biblically wrong with formal church membership, for several reasons, we have adopted the policy of having no formal grace church membership role. And so we're basically agreeing with them that, look, every Christian, it's part of their Christian life to be involved in a local church. They think it's best for various reasons not to call it membership. I'll lay out now why, for various reasons, we think it is helpful. But this isn't a, the issue that we all want to make clear is not what you call it. That's just a title. Yeah, partnership, whatever. We could get rid of it. I don't really care as long as we're being faithful to what this says. So what is, 
Well, let me just pause and ask some questions, then we'll look at what it says. Do you agree that many Christians have a maybe date the church mentality, and what does that look like? When I think of when you say date the church, I think you just you show up on Sunday mornings, and maybe nobody even really knows who you are, except you know the people that you sit around, and then you leave and you go about your life, and you show back up on the next Sunday, and you know you get out the door as fast as you can. That to me is dating the church. Okay, is that common? Yeah, and so there could be lots of reasons. They're dating, personality, or whatever. Are we on dangerous ground if we say there are things that Christians should do that it can only be deduced from Scripture and there's not an actual explicit verse for it? Are we on dangerous ground to say you should do this, but we can't actually point to a verse? Okay. I think it depends on what you're Yeah. Issues. One one thing is it could probably lead to either legalism or antinomianism where okay, we're you gotta do this in order to get saved. But it's like, oh the Bible is supposed to say so you just go do whatever you want. You just feel you do what feels right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I would say we are on dangerous ground, but it's ground we have to walk on. Because scripture doesn't lay out explicitly how you do lots of things in your life. It gives us principles so that we then have to apply those. So we have to be cautious, but we do have to walk down this road. All right, so why are we saying this? And even why is Grace saying, because some people wouldn't even agree with this statement, that regular participation is vitally important. So why are we saying that? Well, let's look at two major areas. First, the relationship between a Christian and church leaders. Uh, we're going to pass out some verses. Corbin, can you turn to First Thessalonians? 5, 12 to 13, and actually the rest are going to be in Hebrews 13, so everyone else can just turn there. Various parts of Hebrews 13. So 1 Thessalonians 5 will be the first one, and then we'll be in Hebrews 13 after that. Corbin, when you get there, would you read that for us? 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work, live in peace with one another. 
Alright, so here there's some commands about how a believer should relate to their leaders. What are some things it says? Okay. Esteem them. Alright, so you know the, a lot of these are going to be questions back. How can you live this out if you're not part of a local church? You know, you're, you're supposed to respect and esteem some leaders, but if you don't have any spiritual leader, then you can't do that. Or turn over to Hebrews 13, and Arnold, could you read verse 7 for us? Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Yeah. So here, very similar thing. It says they have leaders who teach them the word of God. Now, this is implying a couple things. Um, because in it it says to imitate their faith. First, we're to be taught. You know, I've interacted with people who think all I need is me, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. I don't need to be taught by anyone. Well, here the Holy Spirit is teaching in the Bible that you should have people teaching you. And not just teaching you, but that you can imitate their life. And so, you know, this is implying a second thing, and that this should be a local pastor because you can't imitate that person on the podcast or you can't imitate that person who you're watching online. You know, there's been a growth in the last few years of virtual churches where you can't imitate their life. You don't see their life. You may hear great sermons, but you can't imitate them. And so to obey these commands, I mean, these are commands, these aren't suggestions, You've got to be part of some local church where you can be taught and imitate and have relationships. You know, you can't imitate if you're not with them. So you've got to be intentional, engaged. Along with this, verse 17 of chapter 13. Could you read that, Sarah? Okay, so similar idea. Often, this is a verse I turn to with people who will say, nothing in the New Testament says I need to be part of a local church. And I'll go, okay, so here it tells you to obey your leaders. And it's not talking about government leaders. It's very clear it's spiritual leaders. Who are your spiritual leaders? You know, in this city, I don't know, there's probably over 100 churches. Is every single pastor here your spiritual leader? Or do you have a spiritual leader that you are putting yourself under. Um, Not just, I come to a Bible study here and there, but I'm under their leadership. Now, of course, this is, you know, we don't have to nuance this every time, but of course, if the spiritual leader is telling you to do something opposed to God's word, then like other places of Scripture say, you have to say, I'm going to obey God rather than men. And this is not that spiritual leaders who get authoritarian and start commanding things outside of God's word. But there should be some leader that you're under. Now, notice on the flip side, they will give an account for you. We like to say, I don't need anyone's help. Leave me alone. I can get along by myself. Except here it's saying, no, there's people who are also going to give an account. You know, it's our pride that makes us think we don't need others in our life, that we don't need Authorities, And so basically, these first two, you really, I mean, I don't see how you can faithfully obey what Christ is commanding you to do if you're only a member of the universal church. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm part of the church, the universal church. 
Well, well, you are, but. <laughs> yes, but well, what leaders, who are you respecting, who are you esteeming? The flip side of that is kind of more from church leaders. Who are Keith and I giving an account for? Only God knows how many believers there genuinely are in Wichita Falls, but there's a lot in the tens of thousands. Are we accountable for every believer in this city? Well, I don't think so. Well, how do we know which ones we're going to give an account for? Well, we would say those who have committed, engaged. And how do we know they've committed and they're engaged? Well, they say we want to become a member. Again, can you formalize that another way? Sure. Yeah, there's other ways you can do it. But for us, that's been helpful to go, okay, we now know that you're coming under our authority and we know that we need to look out for you in a different way than we do our friend who's a Christian and co-worker. We're going to care for them, but we have a different level of relationship that we have set up. Um, so based on these verses, this, how would you explain or do you agree that it's impossible to be faithful to Christ while not being part of a local church? Okay. If someone wants to be devil's advocate, or if you completely disagree, I'm fine for you to jump in. I know there's Christians who don't agree with this. So. I mean, I used to be think that too, but I was also a brand new Christian. Yeah, never been discipled or anything. So, what did I really know other than my salvation? Okay. What was your question again? Do you agree that? It's impossible to be faithful to Christ while not being part of a local church. Assuming, taking out the providential issues of health and, you know, assuming you have normal health, you live in a town that has faithful churches, all this. Okay. Can, I, can I backtrack that yeah. and say that I think that, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not faithful to Christ, but you're not being faithful to this aspect of it, which would cause you to falter in your walk with him. Yeah, I'm not saying you're not a believer. Right, okay. I'm just saying it's not... I think a lot of people want to say, well, okay, it's a preference. You find it helpful to go to a church. I don't. What's the big deal? And I'm saying, well, no, these are commands. You know, it's not like you can just go, well, this is optional whether I'm going to do this. Well, another question slightly related to this. What can be the benefit or danger if you're getting most of your spiritual nourishment from podcast, online sermons, things like that. There's going to be benefits to that and dangers to that. Well, the benefit is you keep feeding yourself the word every day. Um, of course, the real danger is, is when they're liking something that uh, well, and they start saying, no, uh, uh, and then they start comparing to the pastor. Like, if, let's take John Piper, for example. If I start listening to Piper more, it's like, yeah, and then you said so, and he said so. Now, I think Piper would say this, and it's like, wait, hold up a second, that's, that's not right. I mean, Piper, you know, there's a lot of stuff I agree with Piper, but at the same time, local pastor, you know, the pastor that I have submitted myself to in the Word of God trumps Piper. 
Okay. Yeah, so we can become, as warns First Corinthians 1, followers of, I'm of Piper, I'm of whoever. People's. I think that you also, just because of the technology today, you have so many, there's so many people. I could listen to a lot of great preachers online, and I could listen to a lot of inaccurate, not great preachers online. And if you are plugged into those things and, and not part of a local church, like someone that you trust and know to teach you the word accurately, then how do you know that you're getting fed the right things? Yeah. I was, I was, uh, I was just going to say there's an aspect of accountability there. So if I stay shut in on Sundays because I, I can watch a sermon on TV, there's no one to hold me accountable to see me faltering or wavering or basically call me out and say, hey, you're sinning. It's only one way. Yeah. Yeah. Along that, how do you serve if you're not part of a church? Yeah. Well, we're just a lot goes beyond teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, let's look at the next aspect: the relationship between Christian and other Christians. So along with church leaders and there needing to be this dynamic there, the New Testament commands and gives instructions for how we relate to other believers. And, you know, basically we're applying truths we've learned throughout. We're not going to read all these verses because we've looked at them some in depth. But this was just mentioned. First Corinthians 12 is talking about the gifts we have in the body and that everyone is important. Well, how can you serve the body? And clearly, and I think first Corinthians 12 is talking about the local body in Corinth how can you serve a local body if you're not part of one you know God's given you a gift how are you going to use that for the benefit of others in a local church um, you know, beyond that we need other Christians I do want to look up not all these verses but we will look up some of them uh, Let's see, Shauna, will you read Hebrews 3, 12 through 14? We'll kind of shrink that down. Ty, would you turn to Proverbs 12, 1 and 15? Tracy, could you turn to Hebrews 10, 23 through 25? Let's see, Amy, could you turn to 1 Timothy 5, 8? And Chris, Galatians 6, 10. We'll just leave the others there. So Proverbs what? 12, 1 and 15. All right, Shauna, would you read for us Hebrews three twelve through 14? See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end of the confidence we had at first. Right, so here, what is it encouraging us to do with other believers? Encourage them. Yeah, encourage them. Yeah, and as we show up here Sunday morning, no one comes in, hey, let me tell you all the ways I acted this week. I mean, some of us are better at being forthright than others. But, you know, we got to see each other in each other's lives, to be committed and engaged, to know, oh, they need encouragement. Yeah, they come smiling here, but then as soon as they leave, they're downcast the rest of the week. They're discouraged. There's something going on in their life, and we want to help. And here, specifically for exhortation, because 
You know, it's not just we get saved and boom, okay, well, basically we just live a static relationship with Christ. You know, we're growing in belief and unbelief. And I don't mean saved and unsaved, that's not my point, but in our maturity. And we need others to encourage us on. Uh, along with that, we need people to correct us at times. Proverbs 12, 1, and then 12, 15. 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Pretty strong words. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. I've literally said both of those verses, but both of those verses did two questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I friend who told me once, I can be stubborn as a mule. You have to correct me. You really got to let me know when I'm going astray. Sometimes you just have to whack me with a two-by-four. Um, and then an issue arose in his life, and he wouldn't listen to the two-by-four. <laughs> I tried to be as politely firm as I could be. You know, we could say, oh, yeah, we need this. And then someone goes, hey, I don't know that you handled that right with your kids. And oh, how could they say that? Well, that actually has to apply sometime in our life where they correct us, where they go, hey, we think you're not doing that the best. And I'm not saying you have to agree with them, but the, the we, I need correction. I do stupid things. You don't have to ask for evidence from Sarah. It's true. Uh, you know, we do things where people need to go, hey, that wasn't right. Or you need to think differently or you need to act differently. And that's not just in theory world here. It's like, okay, so someone's going to say something. I'm probably going to get offended, but then I need to go, no, this is good. If they did this in a loving way because they want to help me, that's great. Not, I'm going on to another church. How could, they, how could they have talked to us about that? Well, of course it could be manipulative and wrong, but it could be because they love and care for you. Again, we need other Christians. We're blind. Uh, Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, please. Right now, often what gets quoted from this verse is, so don't forsake the assembling together. And it's true, it's in there. But, what's the purpose? I think it's often not noticed. Why should we not forsake the assembling? What does it say before that? Yeah. You know, a lot of people think it's like, let me use an analogy. They haven't been showing up for their team's baseball games. And so the coach calling them, show up, show up, show up. We need you to get there. And so they show up, they put the uniform on, and then they go stand in the field. And then the ball gets hit to them, and they just kind of watch it. Well, the point's not actually just to show up to the baseball field. It's to play the game, to hit, to get the ball gets hit to you, catch it, throw it, all that stuff. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 is not just go to church. That's how it often gets applied. The purpose is go to the assembly so that you can encourage others. So you can consider, oh, I know what's been going on in their life and I want to help them. How can I stir them up? How can I stir the pot? We're going to stir the pot in other ways. How can we stir the pot for good? Oh, that person's always encouraging me. You know, that's why we don't forsake. And this is the exact opposite of the way we've said most people relate to church. Most people come as consumers. Now, what's a consumer? And generally, not just with church. Well, what's someone, what's 
that mean to consume? Yeah, they, they take. So how do people, how are people's consumers at the church? Okay. Well, you go to consume teaching. I mean, in a good way. Like I come to hear good, solid biblical teaching, and you are. I mean, you are consuming in that way. Yeah, it's not that there's no aspect of consuming, but it should be a give and take. I'm coming to get and to give. And most Christians, you know, sadly in the U.S., most Christians, their first look is not is this teaching the truth. It's did we like the atmosphere? Did they have good programs for the kids? Do they have good activities? And all those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if that's why we're coming is all the stuff we get to do. Well, or also, what about what you can give? You know, it's not just how, what can I come? Oh, I didn't get anything this morning. Well, maybe you should come to give in the morning. And again, this has been something pushed throughout. We're seeing that what the New Testament commands us to live like is much different than maybe our, even our experience, even our adult life of what church is like. I'm not saying here, but maybe even in other churches. That being a Christian is not just showing up on Sunday, agreeing with the right facts, and then going and living your life. There should be in this involvement with other believers. Uh, is Wednesday night the pinnacle of Christian living? No. But it's another opportunity already set in the calendar. Hey, I want to know what's going on in their life. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for this church. I want to come. Again, not to just check the box. I gathered with the people. church did it. But there's a goal, stirring people up, loving one another, being committed, engaged, intentional. Uh, you know, in this, it's helpful to realize that there's, we saw before, one another commands. We saw this on technology. Here's some things, I'm not giving all of them, but here's a sampling of some of the one another commands in the New Testament. We're to serve one another, love one another, live it. These are, I have verses, but I'm just not going to quote them. Live at peace with one another. Speak the truth to one another. Forgive each other. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. Confess our sins to one another. And show hospitality to one another. And again, God's design, following Christ, being a believer, however you want to say that, is more than just I trust Christ and then I lead a moral life. Okay, I'm good. That's the way a lot of Christians think. Okay, you trust Him and then you just kind of leave a moral life. Maybe go to church. That's part of it. But... There's this relational side that in the U.S. we've severely diminished. And I'm saying that's being committed, intentional, engaged in relationships with other believers. And while you could and should do many of those one another's with other people, there's no doubt. I think that specifically should be happening within a local congregation. You know, in the New Testament, God's given us specific commands and then general commands. Like, uh, I think someone had 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worshiping unbelievers. So we're called to provide for those in need. But notice the only time the New Testament says we've denied the faith is if we don't provide for our family. There's kind of a specific and general application. You haven't denied the faith if your neighbor next to you You've helped them, but at some point you have to go, I've got to stop. 
you know, but your own family, there's a specific application. I think we have a general call to love and serve Christians in our community, but we have a specific call for those within our own fellowship. And let me just say two clear ways. The first is love. You're probably familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan. You know, we're called to render aid, but it's interesting that in each one of the main passages, I have them on your notes there, Galatians 6.10, James 2.15, 1 John 3.16-18, talks about loving the brothers or the household of faith primarily. Could you read Galatians 6.10 for us, Chris? So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Yeah, so, yes, we are to have a general love for everyone in the city, those who come across. We know they need a meal, know they need help, we should help them. But at the same time, we should have a more specific burden, more specific weight to caring for those who have said, we're going to commit to live, to serve Christ here at Wichita Fowles Baptist Church. We have more of a burden for them than someone else. Just like if you're at a park and two kids run into each other and one's your kid and the other's obviously someone else's kid, you should care for both, but primarily their parents should care for them and you should care for your child because they're yours. Two Christians are in need. One's part of your church, one's not. Assuming all things are equal, you should have a greater burden for the person who's part of your local church because I, you, we, however you want to say that, have committed to one another there. I'm going to...